Does the world need another chair design? How has furniture shaped the world we live in today? Why is furniture design such a bellwether for creatives around the globe? I'm Danny Chung, furniture designer, industrial designer, and die-hard design enthusiast. Join me and my guests as we examine this highly influential corner of the design universe. It's furniture design out of the closet. This is Modern Furniture Design. And welcome to the next episode, coming to you in isolation from outside the modern furniture design closet. Berto Pandolfo is a senior lecturer at the University of Technology, Sydney. He also served as an industrial designer for the legendary lighting manufacturer, Floss. Each year, he takes a group of students to the Milan Furniture Fair, AKA Il Salone del Mobile. So sit back and relax as this Salone veteran walks you through the event and gives us a history lesson along the way. Uh, well, I don't think anyone forgets their first Salone. Uh, um, I was a, a master's student at the Domus Academy in Milan okay. in uh, 1992. Uh, and it's, it was a great, it was a great, you know, might, might have been less than a week, but it seemed like a week of, of uh, a true excitement. Mm. It was like, um, it, it was like, you know, the Academy Awards, you know, there was, there was a real uh, positive vibe mm -hmm. in the city. Uh, there were special events that you, you know, you were eager to try and get some pass to get into. Um, for the for the first from '92 and then onwards, it was in the early '90s. It was all about getting into Capellini. Yeah, Capellini had a big event. They had a big hall in in the area where the Zona Tortona is now, and I think they were really responsible for making Zona Tortona what it is today. And that was a massive event. It was the who's who of design. It was like a rock star event. It was packed. <laughs> there was music. It was it was amazing. And as a young designer, that was that was energizing. You know, it right. was really thinking, "Wow, this is you know, the, this, this is the epicenter. This is it. Yeah, I'm yeah. glad I'm here. <laughs> Milan is it. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, you never forget the first one. That's for sure. Mm, mm. Um, so my first one, I think, was uh, maybe 2002, 2001, mm -hmm. and uh, I don't speak the language very well mm -hmm. well um at the time at least yeah um and i was there on my own so i didn't really um understand what was on offer uh. um really i mean i did see some fantastic things yeah. but um i don't think i saw everything because yeah. i didn't have the language i don't think at the time there was a really good map of yeah. what was available to see these days i'm sure it's highly more uh it's highly improved in terms of um, telling people where to go, what's on. Oh, yeah. But um, like you, um, at the time I was a young designer. I think I was there on um, the back of um, an Australia Council grant um, for design. And um, yeah, I just found it so inspirational. The atmosphere there was fantastic. Mm. Um, I've always loved, you know, Italy mm. um, for many different reasons. Mm. Um, but Salone was um, just a, an amazing event to 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 go to. Um, Salone is unique because in Milan, because you you know Milan and Northern Italy is a sort of a design 
hub, absolutely. Uh, and they have a huge fashion week as well in Milan, like Paris has fashion week. Mm -hmm. But it's not like uh, the furniture fair. The fashion fair is closed. It's all behind closed doors. You wouldn't know mm -hmm. what's going on unless you were in the industry. Mm. And only those in the industry get to go. So it's, it's very elitist. And the Milanese, they, they understand that and they very much enjoy the furniture fair. It's something that I discovered over the years that they really appreciate the visitors, mm -hmm. everything being on show, and even the Milanese get out and have a look because of course they're interested, okay? Uh, so the, the, the furniture fair is a great event even for the locals. Right. And um, so just give us a, um, a brief history of Salone. How did it um, rise to such prominence? Like it's mm. the biggest event mm. um, on the design calendar every yeah. year. Um, how did it grow to such mm. fame and okay, so, uh, popularity? Yeah, the, the public expression of design in Italy sort of began in the mid 20th century, okay? Mm. Uh, but it was predominantly a, a very pragmatic and a promotional type uh, event. Um, and it wasn't until the mid-60s uh, when uh, some students, design students and professionals, um, they stormed the Triennale and protested against, um, you know, the, 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 the current state of the exhibition, they thought there was a complete lack of social responsibility. They thought this, you know, um, pampering to purely commercial uh, desires was incorrect. And mm. so there was, you know, tr tremendous protest, there's activism, and it's out of this period that groups like, you know, radical design groups like Archism and Super Studio were formed. And I think this had a lot to do with, so, you know, this is mid-60s, Italy is already, is coming out of the war, is manufacturing. cultural upheaval. Yep. Yeah. There's a lot of manufacturing. So they're very handy, okay, um, and they're supplying Europe with all of the things that they need, okay, and even the Italians with all the things they need, you know, even beyond furniture, lighting, homewares, kitchen, that sort of thing. And so there's a lot of activity, and so that's humming along nicely. What happens in the 60s is this notion of, well, design's just not about beautiful things. It's about, you know, social responsibility. It's about people and interactions with objects. It's about, you know, the value of, of things, the value of manufacturing. So it becomes much more intellectual. And so then the, the furniture fair really starts to ramp up and, 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 and as it is today, You've got this sort of the commercial side of the furniture fair out at Row, at the at the you know the ex exhibition grounds, and in the city you've got you know uh, all the smaller uh, individuals and the fringe of design, and that's not only furniture; all sorts of typologies are represented there. So you really get a a, a mix, um, and I think that's where the true value of of the Milan experience is: is that it's it's catering to all aspects of it uh, and all uh, members of the design community. Right. Is it all about design though? Like, or is it still um, very much a trade fair at its core? Like, do you see um, elements of like, um, I don't know, not so modernist um, styles of furniture 
Um, oh, no, no. It, it, or is it all cutting edge, um, architecturally inspired design pieces? No, no. Like, if, you go, if you go to Row, which yeah. is the big exhibition centre on the outskirts of Milan, I don't know, there's 25 pavilions. There's only, you know, three or four that really house uh, innovative design. Okay. And the rest is, is, you know, catering. Everyday furniture. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. of all the different styles. Right. Okay, right. so absolutely... Uh, the exhibition centre is a commercial, commercially driven uh, enterprise. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the city, however, uh, sure, there's a lot of, you know, there's there's a lot of uh, hope, mostly from smaller entities and you know individual designers wanting to break through, wanting to exhibit, you know, trying to score a gig with a bigger company, really. Sure. Uh, so there is a commercial drive there as well. Uh, but there's also a lot of work that's purely, you know, speculative and provocative in nature, uh, which, you know, is often the most interesting work. And so there's, you know, there's no commercial uh, imperative there. They're just wanting to s- sort of show their capabilities and what design, you know, can be. So it still functions as a launchpad for young companies, startups, um, young designers as I think well, so. as I much think- as it did. Um, back in the 90s and the noughties? Well, I think the 90s is uh, really that rock star period. Um, I think in terms of a launching pad, I'm I'm less so because you've got the internet now and and I think people have uh, profiles that they can gain that way. But, you know, there are still a lot of Italian companies that are very important and that have maintained their importance and one way to get you know under their you know nose and show them their work is be present in that Mm, week mm. um, and get some publicity and people talking so Uh, young designers still use it as a way to connect with um, bigger companies and the hope of being launched as a designer or being signed on absolutely yeah Yeah. I think it's it's become less Mm. but it's absolutely uh, you know most aspiring young designers still want to have a piece with you know cartel Capellini Morozo, Casina, you know, mm. you name them. They and are all the um, the major design companies in the one uh, zone or area? Um, or are they spread out in different districts? So in Milan, yeah. um, most of the companies, there was a period where they didn't exhibit at the Trade Centre mm-hmm. uh, on the outskirts at Row. Uh, but at the I only mentioned that, by the way, because when I went, yeah. it was actually kind of difficult to know where for example, Capellini was right. um, yeah. for that year because yeah. it used to change from venue to venue Correct. Right, every year. That's right. So um, as a young designer, not knowing the language and not having a, a map that was any mm. um, use really, um, it was difficult to locate where, you know, Alessi might have been or whoever it was, Capellini, B&B. Mm. Yeah. Um, Look, I'm sure back in the early 2000s it would have been really difficult mm. without having that sort of inside information. Mm. Um, and also because there was, there's been a lot of movement. I know there, a lot of the companies protested against the trade exhibition, so they didn't exhibit there, they exhibited in the city. Um, but I think uh, in the end everyone still now is, has either uh, both in the city and at the trade uh, exhibition centre or they just exhibit at the trade exhibition centre. And of course, nowadays, absolutely all the, uh, the, the material that's available for people, well, there's another problem now. Mm. Uh, there's so much, you know, to choose from. It's, you know, where do you go? Right. So I think that's <laughs> the, 
the, the, the problem now is... How many days do you think you need to yeah. see everything that needs well, to be seen? You can't. you don't get to see everything. Right? That's the first thing. There are yeah. hundreds of events, so you don't get to see... So which ones are you going to go to? Mm-hmm. You know, I was there a few years ago, uh, you know, four or five years ago, and it was the Zona Lombrate. That was the, that was the area. It's a new area on the outskirts, these abandoned factories, and all the, you know, the cool hip designers with great, you know, offerings were there. Uh, two years later, it's dead, right. you know, and so the the energy is moved elsewhere. Where's it moved? You know, sometimes that's difficult to to sort of find. And have I got it right? These days, there's a dedicated like hub. Is it? Is there a newly built um, facility where they where they house a lot of the exhibitors, or is, have I got that wrong? Um, I yeah I. Now what, what happens is uh, there are designated zones within Milan, so there's okay. Zona Brera, Zona Tortona, mm. uh, Zona Lambrate. Uh, so these are areas that are now much more clearly defined, okay. whereas in the past they weren't clearly defined. Mm. Um, and then there's the, you know, the trade centre out at Rowe. Yeah. Um, That's maybe what I'm thinking yeah, about actually. Yeah. Yeah. And who knows, this year, you know, well, you know, in April, there might be something else emerge. Yep. So April in Milan, it's a little bit chilly from my memory. Um, we're coming out of winter, um, so you do have to wear a coat. I'm trying to give the, our listeners a sense of what it's like. Can you maybe walk us through um, the, the furniture fair? How do you get around? Is it usually by foot or do you take the metro? Just walk us through a little okay, bit of the so, fair. So the, 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 the climate can be cool mm-hmm. but we've had years where it's been really hot so right. it's that transition period so you do need to be, be prepared yeah um, additionally you need to be prepared to walk mm-hmm. the metro system is fantastic uh, but for example the trade of fair mm-hmm. uh, trade uh, exhibition center it's enormous mm-hmm. um, and so there's a lot of walking um, and the other thing to, to be prepared of is the the jammed metro on the way out mm. okay it's just like those pictures you see in the Japanese metro you know people getting pushed in it's absolutely jam-packed um, so that's one thing and then the hordes of people from the metro stop that flow to the entrance of the trade exhibition center it's you know it's it's an experience so there's just thousands of people from all around the world coming to this event which is again energetic because designers from Australia or from remote areas uh, around the world might not perceive design to be this sort of huge thing mm. when you're there in Milan it's big it's big business and there's a lot of people so that's really exciting then once you're in the trade exhibition once you're in uh, people sen- tend to dissipate into the various halls do you need a pass or anything to yeah, see yeah, things yeah like, like you need to be a, a during the week you need to be a member of the you know design community you need to be a practitioner of some description uh, a retailer or a or a designer. So that goes for the general public can't go into a Capellini um, exhibit? Yeah, at the trade exe- uh, trade centre on Saturday and Sunday it's open to the public. Right. But uh, during the week it's only for operators. Okay. Uh, and there's still hundreds of thousands of those. Mm. Um, and then once you're in you've got to find, you know, there are all these information booths, you sort of, you know, you know, designers tend to look for, you know, where's Capellini, where's Cartel, where's Casina, mm. blah, 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 blah. And then they're generally in one pavilion. I can't remember the number of it, number of it and and we you sort of start there. Yeah. Okay. And of course the goal, 
the goal is to be there on the first day. Right. Right, in the morning or the first day, because that's when uh, all the press is there and the designers are there. Mm -hmm. So your best chance of you know running into Stark or Morrison or whoever uh, is be there on the first day. Yeah. Uh, because they're all doing the interviews, you know, and it's 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 uh, again that energizing moment of you know this thing is really big and important, and you know you can be a part and getting of it. a taste of celebrity. Yeah. I remember when I went, um, I just ran into um, designers um, just by ch pure chance. Yeah. So who did I see? I saw. Um, Patricia Moroso. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Patricia uh, Aquala. Yep. Um, Kareem Rashid. Yep. Yeah. Um, that was it. Yeah. Fantastic. But when I did see them, yeah. I was like so excited. Yeah. It was an amazing, inspirational moment. Yeah. And I was there at the right time. Yeah. That's Fantastic. great. That's yeah. great. Yeah. Well, a few years ago, we you know we ran into Philippe Stark, so I got the group okay. photo of my students of Philippe Stark. Yep, fantastic. You know? yeah. And then another another time with uh, Konstantin Gurcic. Yeah, you know, and it's great. It's great because yeah. these people, you know, they do great things. They're you know leaders in our field, and it's nice to sort of rub shoulders with them. Right. And um, so, what's the primary reason you take students over to to Milano? Initially, you know, I had this gut feeling that. It's just an important event that they need to see, mm. okay? And so, organised it, made it happen, we took students over. I now realise that it's really important in terms of opening up their perception of the field, mm -hmm. okay? Because they're students in Australia, they have an understanding of design, even through the internet they get a feeling of what goes on around the world. But until they're in Milan and they experience this behemoth of an event and the, the, the diversity, uh, they, they don't really fully understand and they come away thinking, you know, they're blown away by the possibilities, the opportunities, and just the size of this industry. It's really important, particularly in Central Europe, you know, really important part of the economy. Uh, and I guess it's um, for the fact that um, for, how long does it go for, two weeks? Uh, no, it's, weeks. it's like one week. six days, yeah. Oh, so for one week of the year, yeah. it's the epicenter of yeah. the design world. So all of the big names are there, all of the ideas, the current ideas, the future ideas are happening all in one yeah. location. So I guess if you're a student or a young emerging designer um, and you follow an Instagram feed or however you get your design mm. information, it, it's very fragmented. Mm. And um, I can see that, how that would be beneficial to take a group of students and um, just focus their attention on where design is happening for a moment, one moment um, during the calendar year. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, these companies uh, work around a schedule around the Milan in Furniture Fair. Mm. So they'll present new products, you know, in April. And so it's really important. It can be stressful for them, of course, because every year they've got to produce new work. And over time you sort of see that maybe not a lot of companies do that mm -hmm. uh, and so they might go to every two years but nevertheless you know that's where they're going to present their new collection and if you go to the top floor of whatever um, pavilion um, you know where cartel and all the big guns are you can walk around there and see all the latest stuff you know in a morning okay mm -hmm. and you'll see it all and you get a feel for what what 
you know what's happening in design okay. you know you know in terms of color textures typologies you know features you can, you know if you're sensitive to it you'll pick up on it and so it really is you know you know a, a really important moment so my next question um, is around um, like the 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 whole furniture design um, industry, the mm. space. Mm. Why is furniture design such a trend leader? Why mm. is it so? Um, why does every designer uh, want to do it? Mm. It seems. Um, mm. How did it rise to such a, a level of prominence that um, people look to it every year for um, forecasting trends? Mm. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Why is it furniture? Why couldn't it be something else, some other yeah. object or yeah. field of design? Yeah. Like, um, you know, f fashion has a sort of a similar issue regarding renewal on a constant basis, more so every six months or even every quarter now. Um, but fashion is a garment, it's very personal, mm -hmm. and you know, one per I wear it sort of thing. And I, a piece of furniture is something that I might share. Mm -hmm. um, a piece of furniture is something that I'll have in my home, it's somewhere where a place I can relax and I can come back to. Um, and so these sort of, you know, really important feelings, I think, uh, have a lot to do with why furniture is, is such an important product in life, um, you know, you know, we eat, we work, we socialise uh, using furniture items. We interact with it on a minute by minute basis. We're always, you know, we're sitting on chairs. Yeah, you know, there's absolutely. There's a table here, books and shelves. Yep. Uh, absolutely everywhere. And also, there's some complexity to furniture as well. Mm -hmm. Although some, you know, a, a, you know, a sawn-off log could work as a stool, which is very simple. Uh, there's you know complexities in the office chair that I'm sitting in um, so furniture spans a range of, uh, of, of complexity of diversity um, that I think really makes it a very rich typology of product mm. can I offer you my um, theory yep. about why um, I think it's because uh, you can turn around uh, furniture design a lot quicker than you can with, um, for example, architecture. So, you know, 12 months development time on a new range of furniture or a furniture piece is um, very achievable um, for designers and manufacturers. So with that sort of um, tight uh, development time and schedule, you're able to produce something on a 12 month basis. Um, what do you think of that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that ties in with the fact, you know, uh, you know, one of the students early on in one of my uh, trips to Milan commented to me, you know, why do we need all these new chairs? There are just so many chairs. <laughs> and it's true. It's true. We don't really need them. But we do. Okay. Because as a, as a, as a race, we are evolving mm. constantly. Mm. Okay. We are changing things, uh, you know, evolve. And as we evolve, we need new things, right? Sure. Okay, yeah. so it's an absolute necessity to have um, have these new products, um, and the furniture does fit nicely within that sort of scale of materiality and production, being able to produce something, 
um, because it can it can be produced uh, in a small workshop mm-hmm. or in a large factory. So it's 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 a nice product in that sense. And so being able to sort of maintain pace with uh, way life changes is really important. Uh, we can't do that with our houses, of course. So we'd like. So you're saying furniture sort of facilitates innovations in manufacturing. It facilitates new ideas. Yeah. Well, look at stand-up desks. You know, stand-up yeah. desks, right? Stand-up okay. workstations. You know, we've found that we're sitting too much. Mm-hmm. So maybe we can stand while we work. Right. That's going to require a new product. Yeah. And so okay. these desks move up and down, and so that's that's a change. You know, 30, 40 years ago. That was that was you know not at all part of you know an office environment, um, and you know you look at kitchen layouts you know they've changed dramatically you know because of you know the, you know people are cooking differently, uh, different you know cuisines demand different uh, facilities and so the kitchen evolves and so all these things change as we become richer as we evolve, uh, we need to you know have new things new things yeah. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying the podcast. Reviews and ratings are super important to the ongoing sustainability of this podcast. To leave a review for me on Apple, tap the search button on the bottom right and type in modern furniture design. Then tap on my thumbnail. It takes you to my page and at the bottom, tap to rate and write a review too. You have no idea how much I appreciate it. Thank you. Um, so tell me a little bit more about the event. Um, how difficult is it to get into one of the launch parties? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I, I... You have to, like, I, put on a disguise. <laughs> you have to be connected. Fake an entrance pass. Right, you have to be connected, absolutely. Mm. Um, so I've not attended a, a launch event for many years. Mm. But even back then, you know, when I was working for Floss, I had access, which was a real privilege. Um, but the minute you're no longer part of the industry, uh, part of a connected uh, community, it becomes really different. And so then it's really who you know, mm. okay, and trying to, you know, you know, in some way getting into these events. And I think that was part of the fun as well. Yeah, you know, yeah. trying to get into Capellini or Casino was super elite, okay. Uh, and that was always really difficult. Capellini was young and hip. It was like going to a, you know a nightclub, um, and so you know I think I think now um, it's still quite difficult. They still have big events, mm. absolutely, because you know they're uh, you know they're now they're preparing material for you know the various uh, online products uh, that they need to you know send their um, um, uh, you know new new offerings out, mm-hmm. and so they have to have these events because it sort of communicates a type of company that they are and the people that are coming to these events so yeah. you know non-designers but celebrities turning up to launches now is you know it's quite a common thing do you think um, part of the popularity of the event is due to the popularity of design as um, a uh, something to to study at university and as a career path like I mean <laughs> When I was studying design, we had maybe 30 students in um, our class. These days at uni, you've got more than 100. That's right. Um, so it's more than tripled in size since the 80s and the 90s. So I guess that in some way has to contribute to the popularity of an event like Salone, surely. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There are a lot more designers, mm. uh, but there's also a lot more need. You know, the, you know, um, in this world of the of the digital uh, society that we live in, uh, there's a lot of uh, abstract or intangible uh, things in our life, which is true. However, our life is dominated by tangible things. Again, the products, and so they're never going to go away. Okay, we're not going to stop sitting or needing a desk or you know reading books or using phones. Uh, we're going to always need products, and they need to be designed. And so, you know, the fact that those objects still need to be produced in a competitive environment means that they need them to be, um, you know, communicated and exhibited and compared one against the other for then people to make it sort of a call. Um, you know, people are now much more mobile, so designers from all around the world can easily get to Milan now. Mm -hmm. Milan now is much more of an international city, so the language issues, I think, have been addressed. And so more and more designers are coming. So, uh, you know, and it's a moment. Uh, I think every industry needs some sort of moment, whatever it is, uh, that, you know, we come together and we recognise that, wow, this is, you know, this is what's new and this is, you know, what maybe is not so good and these are the people and, and celebrate, you know, what we do. And I think design as a profession is really interesting and it's becoming more and more appealing, I think, because whereas, you know, the pure arts are really wonderful, uh, you know, um, inspiring, uh, important and all of that, um, it's, it's often hard to make a living being an artist and very few can be... Uh, art, pure artists and make a living and I think design offers you know in that sense a bit of a compromise there is certainly that creative component that is absolutely necessary but there's also a very pragmatic side to design that things need to be able to be used by people uh, they need to be able to be made uh, within a certain context you know be that price or a market or a material um, so the skill of the, what you're saying is the skill of the designer is transferable to other things. That's right. And so design, you know, we, we produce a lot of designers uh, here at this university, as do other universities. A lot of these students go into design-related work, but they also they go into other work where maybe they're not designing, but they are certainly using their design skills. Mm. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to touch on um, for a little bit uh, the, uh, the the rise uh, to prominence in terms of um, furniture design of, of the Italians. Oh, yeah. What what do you what makes Italians uh, good at design? Mm, okay, uh, there's a lot to it. There's a lot to it. Uh, culturally, they're uh, an aesthetically sensitive group of people, mm -hmm. okay, uh, based on their history, I don't know if it's the location, the climate uh, that has encouraged, you know, this, you know, artistic activity for centuries. And so they've been aware, and, and as a student you grow up, or as a, you know, as, yeah, as a student you grow up with all this beauty around you through osmosis, it gets mm. in. So, so just tell our listeners where you grew up and your um, design education history. Okay, so my parents uh, are Italian and they migrated to Australia in the 50s. I was born here in Cooma uh, in the Snowy Mountains. I, I did my undergraduate in Australia and then I moved to Italy. I completed my postgraduate masters in Milan 
and I worked in Milan, uh, in Italy for Floss, uh, sort of an important lighting design company. Um, and uh, and on upon returning, I've now um, entered university and I'm a lecturer of industrial design. So you did your design education in Italy, you worked for a very famous design uh, company, Floss, for a little while. Um, and so, yeah, tell us more about um, Italians in so design. So the Italians yeah. in the design, right. And so I think uh, an important moment, just before the Second World War, um, uh, Mussolini, who was a, a fascist dictator, generally a bad person, he was responsible for enacting a particular type of business model uh, called an SRL, which uh, essentially uh, enabled small businesses, artistic businesses, some tax concessions. Yes. Okay. And so these artisans now could generate a living. So people that were making tin pots or weaving chairs could really devote their time to that and make a business out of it and make a living. So that then uh, was stalled, I suppose, because of the war. But then after the war, when people needed chairs, pots, coffee pots, and all that sort of thing, lights, all these artisans came out of, you know, came out and started doing things. So you've got this desire to make, okay, and an incentive to make and sell, so the commercialization. Add that to the cultural richness of this nation that, you know, that has a history of being creative and artistic, um, and add that to the entrepreneurial spirit, sure. uh, and you've got this blend that is quite unique. Um, and, and also the rebirth of post-Second World War, you know, the renewal of the country mm -hmm. um, that, you know, that allowed for creatives to be creative, but also the entrepreneurs to say, yeah, okay, let's do it. You know, when Castiglione designed uh, the tractor chair in 62, mm. okay? You know, that the entrepreneurs of Zonata, you know, you gotta take your hat off to them. Mm. To, to commercialize a product like that really takes guts, right? Yeah. Uh, that, you know, you, you didn't see elsewhere and you only saw it in Italy and that's replicated across, you know, all the product uh, typologies in, in right across uh, Italy. And so from there then, um, supplying to their local community, their local market, expanded to supplying, providing products uh, to Europe more uh, globally, uh, which meant they grew. And okay. those companies, I mean, they should be celebrated, shouldn't they? Because Absolutely. these days, everyone's worried about risk. Yeah. Um, and they're worried about the bottom line. You know, it, and as you say, it takes a lot of guts to look at a design straight out of left field um, not being able to do any sort of sales forecasting on a crazy idea and yet still have the conviction to support something like that. Yeah, it's unique because uh, the, the one thing that I learned quickly in Italy was that these companies don't actually have marketing departments. Mm. It's the entrepreneur, yep. that, you know, and the designer and, and together uh, they formulate a strategy and they take the risk. Mm. The entrepreneur takes the financial risk, um, and a lot of times these risks, you know, they fail. Some of these products don't go anywhere, but of course, a lot of them do mm. uh, succeed. Uh, and you know, the because these these companies are the patrons of our day, like just as the Medici's were, absolutely uh, back in the Renaissance. Um, it's a similar sort of um, model. Um, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Gandini, Piero Gandini at Floss, 
uh, and Philippe Stark, you know, um, uh, Mr. Gandini, Piero's father, and Castiglioni, mm -hmm. um, you know, Capolini, uh, uh, Giovanni, and Alessi. Yeah. You know, there are all these, you know, relationships that uh, are really important. And, you know, there's lots of them. But there is that important connection between a creative, someone wanting to develop something innovative or something new or responding to something that's occurred in the environment or in technology or in material, and an entrepreneur that wants to sort of you know, be at the cutting edge. So mm. these are guys that want to lead. You know, they're leading in many ways, and I think that's something we absolutely we need to. So going back to the question about why Italians are so good at design or have this amazing history, um, I guess it comes down to um, just the general history, like things like the Renaissance informing, um, you know, a sense, a design sensibility. I guess having that business model of the patron. Um, you know the Medici's um, back in the the 1500s and then to this day you've got um, companies that um, act as patrons like Floss and uh, the Capellini's the cartels what have you um, any other factors I think I think there are I yeah. think I think there's this sense it's a sensibility and a desire for quality. And if you okay. think about also their cuisine, mm -hmm. okay, so food is really important to the Italians. Right. And eating at a table. Yeah, so they're very sensual. Yeah. yeah, and so, you know, it's just not any food, it's particular food. They can talk about the origin, the quality, the olive oil, the cheese, the meat, what have you, okay, wherever you go. Okay, so that becomes an important moment. To be able to do that, you need to sit on something, you need to put your plate on something, the plate needs to be there, the knife and fork needs to be there, the glass needs to be there, all these support elements need to be there to facilitate that. And you know, where they see quality in their food, mm. you know, quality of the olive oil, the quality of the cheese, whatever you, the quality of the pasta, they'll look for quality in you know, the, their garments, mm -hmm. in, the, in, the, in the objects they put in their homes or in you know, where they work. Absolutely. So it's a heightened sense of visual stimulation. That's really interesting to hear you um, mention that because um, it's very different to the origins of um, Scandinavian design, for instance. Like with the Scandinavians, um, it's all about being inside because the weather's too cold outside, yeah, right? Yeah. So they have to make everything comfortable and, and homey. Um, and I guess um, that's really interesting that you, you mentioned that because, you know, the Italians are so expressive. So you see that in um, the things that they manufacture and produce. Yeah, I think, I think they're, you know, they're more at they're more vocal, mm -hmm. they're more outgoing, yep. they're more expressive, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So they're not, they're not shy in that sense. Well, of course, we're being extremely general here, but I think mm -hmm. it's safe to say. And so that's replicated, you know, if you're, if you're in a creative industry or a manufacturing industry, you know, that's coming out in what you do as well. Mm -hmm. um, now, the other thing that I've always wondered about is, um, and I'm not sure whether you, you might have any answers um, to this question, but um, they, the, the Italians are so good at manufacturing, mm. particularly um, their injection moulding of plastics. Mm. Amazing quality, amazing mm. expertise. Um, how do they do it? Like, See, how did such a small country mm. uh, become so good at manufacturing things yeah yeah i know i know and I, I can i can i can feel your passion mm. even for injection molding you think you know 
anyone can injection mold. Well, no, you can't. No. Okay, and it's like anything. All right, uh, it's a real art. It's an art. Mm. Okay, whatever you do, you try and do it to the best of your capabilities, and that's what they try and do. It's mm. like, you know, they just want to excel at whatever they do, and if that's making a tool for an injection molded part, they're going to make it really well. Mm -hmm. Okay, if it's uh, you know the machine that makes the tool to make the injection molding part they're going to make that machine you know really well and in fact they're you know famous for their machines their tool making machines and so it's this approach to wanting to do a good job mm. you know wanting to be careful mm. and wanting to do it right and uh, and then maybe also because they know that that people can tell this is a good injection molded part and this is a crap one you know maybe they know that i don't know but certainly it's that desire to want to be the best that they possibly can. And maybe it could be, you know, internal competition, you know, with other, excuse me, with other companies. Uh, I don't know, but there is absolutely. Uh, Do you think that, because I found it interesting what you said about Mussolini in that era, where small business and enterprise was um, very much supported. Do you think that has got something to do with it as well? Uh, yeah, I'm sure that, that I'm sure that had something to do with it because that was like a commercial incentive yeah and so people then could see they could make a living mm. and so that then just you know meant people even you know even automotive you know how many brands of automobiles are made in Italy there's quite mm. a number same with cars furniture brands um, fashion brands uh, motorbikes and so all of these companies had beginning very humble beginnings small shops making one at a time okay and then as this, uh, you know, tax uh, uh, support came through. They could make a living and grow, mm -hmm. and so they grow. And Alfa Romeo grows into Alfa Romeo, and you know, uh, what's a motorcycle brand? Uh, Maraguzzi. Maraguzzi. You know, there's there's lots of them. They grow from these small things, and mm. they grow and grow and grow and become. And by adopting all of these sort of quality, creative pursuit of excellence, mm -hmm. uh, they can compete. Okay, so. The other thing to note here is that these companies are st still exist in, in a context that is rife with, you know, copies, okay? Um, and so to be able to compete and survive in that environment is also saying, you know, uh, that design is important, a pursuit of excellence is important because if you can do that, you can, you can survive, okay? Hey guys, thanks for listening. If you want to get in touch with me, I would love to hear from you. You can follow me and DM me on Facebook and Instagram under Modern Furniture Design. You can also go directly to the Modern Furniture Design blog at www.paranormaldesign.com and comment there or drop me an email. I can't wait to hear your feedback and thoughts. Thanks, guys. Does it help to have like a, a figurehead um, of a certain movement or industry? I saw this amazing uh, documentary on the plane, um, I think it was last year. It was about um, the uh, Agnelli family. Right. Giovanni Agnelli, yeah. Giovanni Agnelli, uh, brilliant. Um, and if our listeners get a chance to um, watch this um, documentary, it's, um, it's amazing. Uh, his life he was such a charismatic kind of figurehead and frontman for um, the automotive companies that he led um, do you see that happening in the furniture industry I mean I guess you have the 
you have BAB uh, Talia, the, the Busnelli brothers, um, you have uh, the Casina family. Um, I guess through history you have those moments and those um, champions of design. Absolutely. I think it's fundamental. Uh, you know, you've got um, uh, Patrizio Moroso at Moroso, mm -hmm. Giulio Capellini at Capellini, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, Gandini at Floss. Um, absolutely, the entrepreneur uh, is a single leader. He's got a vision and he can pull, you know, that company along mm -hmm. um, and there's no uh, mistaking you know what that company is about and I think the clarity by have uh, that's achieved by having a you know a single person is a strong uh, a very important reason why a lot of the Italian brands do so well you know even all the you know the automotive brands they started with a person Ferrari mm -hmm. you know, mm. for argument's sake yep and you just don't see that at that um, level in any other country like I can't think of any other country that has that con that concentration of um, design companies or design uh, rich companies mm. as Italy. Yeah, I think it's like unique. you can just um, rattle on forever the the mm. famous design houses and what have you. Yeah. Um, I don't see that in French history. No. Apologies to all our French listeners. Yeah, but even in Japan, um, which has a rich manufacturing history. Mm. Uh, you know, their companies now are so big that they're, uh, you know, not, you can't have a, a sort of a, a single figurehead. But they, but they do, but they're not, you know, family related a lot of the times. So it is a unique situation, absolutely, mm. in Italy, and hence why, you know, it can't be repeated. A lot of the time, you know, when I first came back from Italy, people were always asking me, oh, how can we, you know, how can we do what the Italians do? And I think, well, you know, it's a lot of things that you know need to be there for it to to occur, and that's that's another one, you know. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so, in we're twenty twenty. Um, are the Italians? Do they have that much? Are they still the heavyweights of the design universe? That's or a has question. that mm. faded away a little bit um, I, as the world becomes more? connected and, mm. and globalized I think the Italian brands are still uh, at the top of the pile mm -hmm. um, I think now for example uh, designers are coming from all over the place you know mm. the Dutch have really been very successful over recent time uh, so the creative input is possibly no longer um, you know of a direct Italian heritage uh, but the facility to which to you know um, you know share this creativity is definitely Italian in terms of the brands of the companies. So I think they still play a really important role. Yeah, uh, absolutely. It's just that creative input now is much more diverse, and I think that's them also recognizing that you know there are great designers all around the world, mm. not just in Italy. Um, but the companies, though, you know. Although you know other companies pop up every now and again from other places, there's you know it's, you know uh, odd examples around the place, but the most of them are still you know based in Italy. And what about um, prominent Italian designers? Mm. Now, um, so in my in my design life, I I took um, some time off uh, to do other things. So during the noughties mainly, I was away from design for a good 12 years. 
Um, so I missed a whole chunk of uh, design history for a while. <laughs> and I'm not really, I came back in like 2015. Yeah. And um, I'm not hearing news about new Italian designers anymore? Mm. Am I missing something here or? No, there's not, you know, uh, I think there's a... You know, because all the old, all the, all the players of yesteryear yeah. are, are still in the game. Well, this like is it. They're hanging Ceterio on. Ceterio. Yeah. yeah. De Lucchi, uh, De Lucchi. You know, Branzi, yep. Giovanni. Yep, they're you know, still there. They're still there. So they're uh, still working and operating. Um, and I think you know, there are some, you know, the only name that I can think of now is Fabio Novembre. He's sort of a, you know, younger generation designer. Mm -hmm. There is another one, but his name escapes me. So there is some there, absolutely. Um, and I think uh, that's important. Um, but I think, you know, because of the, uh, the cachet that the sort of the, the, you know, these, you know, leading founding fathers of Italian design bring, you know, um, uh, that they still are you know, asked to produce new work, you know, Michele Di Lucchi and, and uh, you know, Rodolfo Dordone, Giovanni, you know, these people are still producing work and, you know, some of them, you know, some of them, un you know, Sots has passed away not long ago, mm. uh, Castiglione's been gone now more than 10 years, uh, you know, uh, Magistretti I think is still alive, Right. you know, so... But there's no one new. I'm just fascinated by what drives design around the world these days and mm. I just wonder whether Italian designers have maybe had their day like in mm. the same way that you know American designers back in yeah, the, the, yeah. the 50s yeah. and 60s have you know um, lost their domination um, of design um, well absolutely I think you know in you know, in the post Second World War period, it was, you know, right up until the seventies and eighties, it was all Italians. Yeah. Okay. They've they, had a good run. They had they a great run. Yeah, that's you know. right. You know, they had they had, they had <laughs> total control. Then I think you know um, the English came in. Mm -hmm. You know, and there's yeah. you know Morrison, Irving, you know Dixon. So the you know a lot of English designers. Yeah. Uh, some French, of course. You know, um, Stark and still very prominent. Um, and more, you know, of course, the, the Scandinavians as well. There are a lot yeah. of Scandinavian designers. And then I think more recently it's been about the Dutch. Um, um, who knows what's next? Maybe it's the Chinese. Maybe, you yeah. know, maybe, yeah. you know. The, um, it's going to be interesting to see if there's one particular group of people that can sort of uh, dominate like it has in the past or if it's just going to sort of become this sort of amalgamation of lots of different, you know. Uh, cultural inputs. Are you going to Milan this year? Yes, yeah, I'm taking a gr group of students yep. um, and heading off on the 19th of April and looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's just one of those uh, events that uh, you know captures the imagination of the industry for a few days a year. Yeah. Um, uh, an amazing thing. Um, so uh, it's been great talking to you about um, uh, about the Salone and and other things and um, there's so much we could talk about yeah. maybe another episode <laughs> um, but I do like to finish off my um, my podcasts with um, a couple of questions for um, my guests um, 
The first one is, um, can you uh, talk to or, or talk a little bit about um, one of your favourite um, Salone moments? Sure, uh, uh, absolutely. It was 1994 and uh, I had a piece exhibited. And so this was going to be my moment. So 1994, uh, I was working for Floss. Floss had a number of lighting brands. Uh, in the Floss stand, only two lights were being launched. Um, the Rosie Angelus by Philippe Stark, this three-legged um, floor lamp, mm -hmm. and a, a, a re-edition of the Castiglione uh, Lumina Luminator, which is a three-legged light as well. And it was a beautiful stand just with these two products. Then in, in the adjacent stand, there was Artelucce, their sort of sister brand. And I had designed a series of garden outdoor lights. And they were on display uh, next to work by Rodolfo Dordoni uh, and Mark Sadler as well. Wow. And it was, it was amazing, of course, because I was part of the company that, you know, we were setting up the stand. Then I had my designs there. And so that was a real important moment for me. Um, that I'll never forget and you know as a designer that's where you want to be mm. unfortunately like some products don't go anywhere mm -hmm. my product didn't go anywhere yeah. um, but I'll never forget that moment fantastic fantastic um, can I share one with you yeah so um, I think it was 2002 and um, I uh, Alessi back then was um, maybe at the height of its mm. domination and influence and uh, it might have been my first or second um, Salone I can't remember exactly um, but uh, I remember seeing their exhibit their launch of their um, bathroom collaboration with Laufen um, I think they're Swiss manufacturers of, of bathware and um, in the design news it was a really big story um, it was a huge collaboration um, for their exhibit, they um, filled an abandoned basement full of water. There must have been four <laughs> or five Olympic pool size um, spaces filled with water, um, lit up beautifully in this um, turquoisey kind of light, with all of their launch products submerged at the bottom of these um, pools. <laughs> Um, and that for me just summed up um, Salone. Yeah. Um, the, um, the ritz and the glamour, the you know, going to extraordinary lengths yeah, yeah. to um, the promote design, yeah. the theatre, the passion for it. Um, that is definitely something um, I'll, I'll never forget. Um, so um, look, it's been great talking to you, um, Berto. Thanks for um, sharing your experiences and your your knowledge. Um, we'll have to get you on the show again to discuss um, another aspect of furniture design. Um, have fun at this Thank year's you. one. Thank you. Um, I wish I could join you, um, <laughs> but sadly not. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll talk again. Thanks a lot. Thank thanks you, very much. Cheers. And thanks to Birdo for giving us a taste of the Milan Furniture Fair. Now, do you have a favourite Salone moment? then why not share it in the comments section below? I really do appreciate those of you who take the extra 20 seconds or so to show some love, rate the podcast, or share it with others who have our passion for furniture design. 
Now this show is recorded and produced by me, Danny Chung. The title music is by Screenfeeder, and you can reach me at www.paranormaldesign.com. You can also follow me on social media through all the usual channels. But until the next episode, it's bye for now.